show of 1974 1974 yeah. and, uh, and it's just uh, it's just a fact that within a very short time people will be saying well George do you remember back in those old days Clarence back in 19 Orton? no it was 19 and 74 back in those days <laughs> and uh, and people will uh, will always you know time goes on like some vast uh, incredible, um, unimaginably immense, inevitable clock machine. Tick, tick, tick. Even now. Uh, I'm already planning to figure that 1975 is almost all gone already. No wonder most of us are confused by these things. I mean, guys are working on estimated taxes for 1986. Uh, <laughs> we live our time at back and forth. And uh, there's one thing that seems to remain forever and inevitable. Would you please, if you will, Nick, please. This has to be inevitable. This is the first time and the only time that you'll ever hear Shepard playing Guy Lombardo. Can't you imagine all those nice ladies with the blue hair? Those elderly gentlemen wearing Napoleon paper hats on their heads. Hold it now. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Hold it. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Uh, that's about as close to an American tradition as we <laughs> as we could come. That's a cultural tradition. God, I don't remember what year it is. I'll bet he figures this, he's always playing all Lang Syne. You know, when you get to that point, uh, I guess you don't. <laughs> just, you know, it's, it remains the same notes, the same changes, and obviously the same trumpet player. So they just keep playing on and on. And you know, I'll tell you, I, I uh, that hearing that thing though uh, reminds me of, uh, of New Year's, you know, celebrated in different ways in different places by different people. And I don't know whether or not this was just specific to my specific situation. All I uh, New Year's has never been a happy idea for me, and I'll tell you why. Because some of the worst nights of my life were spent uh, on New Year's under the control of a babysitter. Do any of you remember having a babysitter, your own babysitter? I wonder, you know, I just wonder about that. Uh, does, uh, does uh, say for example, uh, ex-President Nixon ever think of his babysitter? <laughs> well, I mean, we had this, there was this girl, I remember, <laughs> that, that uh, would always be our babysitter for me and my brother. And, uh, and I always remember her name was Louise, Louise Ness, Louise Ness. Now she seemed to me to be a very elderly person. Actually, probably Louise Ness was roughly fourteen and a half. But uh, Louise Ness would come over, and you, the minute Louise Ness would enter the house, 
you knew it was bad news. She was, oh, it was a bad scene because Louise Ness uh, had a way about her. And, and my grandmother also was a babysitter constantly. Now, uh, many of us learned to hate our grandmother completely because of that babysitting thing. But my mother's mother, which would be my grandmother, uh, probably more than anybody, any single person, was constantly the babysitter on big evenings. I mean, big, big evenings, like uh, New Year's, uh, Christmas or something. Not Christmas, really, because we, we always had a family Christmas, but not New Year's. See, New Year's, my mother and father always went to a party, and they, they would go off and dressed up. I mean, in very funny costumes. Uh, did you know that there was a, a big thing in the Midwest? I don't know whether they still do it. That is masquerade parties on uh, on New Year's. Sure, people dressed all up. Uh, now, don't look at me like that, Nick. That is a fact. <laughs> I only I don't I don't invent the social mores. I only report them. And uh, they would they would get all dressed up. And I remember one particular New Year's though. The only time I ever saw my own man dressed in a tuxedo. They were going to this place. And uh, this this uh, big big thing, uh, they were going to it was a hotel in Chicago. They were going to yes, people used to go to hotels. The hotels always had big New Year's Eve uh, uh, dues and stuff. You know, they had a big thing. You know, and and the old man and uh, my uncle Charles and my aunt Clara, my uncle Al and my aunt Kate were all going to this big hotel. And they were going well. The hotel was the Sherman House. Did you ever hear of it? Okay, and they talked for about three or four days before that. They made the reservations. You know, it was a whole big deal. And they were going to go to the Sherman House because at the Sherman Hotel, was it the Sherman House or the Sherman Hotel? Sherman Hotel? Sherman House. Sherman House, okay. So it was this big, big hotel. They were going for one reason. Well, there were two reasons, actually. First of all, they had a fantastic band there that they were going to go because it was the big thing to go to see this band. Well, the band was under the control of Bing Crosby's brother. Correct. Correct. Bob Crosby. And, and the old man kept talking for about three days before this big event about something called the Bobcats. They were going to see Bob Crosby and the Bobcats, and this was going to be at the Sherman Hotel. Now, more than that, though, there was a fantastic midnight show that the, that the whole idea of the midnight show uh, on New Year's Eve was very big in Chicago. Now, the midnight show consisted of a vaguely bawdy show. Now, the idea was that there was a, you know, some kind of a, uh, you know, bawdy type thing that you went to. Not, 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 you, not, not erotic in the sense of today, but uh, it was, let's put it this way, a wee bit racy. Well, at that particular midnight show, there was a famous dancer <laughs> who, who was is, is still around, ironically, a famous dancer who, uh, I mean, to go to see this dancer and to see Bob Crosby at the same time was like seeing a triple header that involved the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and uh, the Led Zeppelin all at once, all performing <laughs> on stage simultaneously. And who was the dancer? Correct. Sally Rand. Sally Rand was famous as a as a fan dancer. Well, you know, this is oh yeah, the old man he kept running around and uh, he he. Uh, I, I have to point out something about the old man. The old man 
was not your average walking around old man. Uh, he, for one thing, had his own version of the fan dance, which uh, he would perform. He did it with a towel. And so he would come. <laughs> my, my mother would say, stop doing that in front of the kids. Well, he just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. He'd come out with a towel, you know, do this whole thing. He'd whip around. He'd put the towel behind him, and he'd whip around, put the towel in front of him. And they were going to go see this uh, fan dance with Sally Rand. Well, now, on this night, naturally, being New Year's Eve, being kids, we were we were going to go nowhere near this. And we were, we were yeah, we were sentenced to spend... New Year's Eve, as as the case like for about 10 years before that, we were sentenced to spend it with Grandma. And we got in the car, and it was colder than hell that night. It's always. In, the, in Chicago, uh, if it isn't cold, they turn on the refrigeration unit on, on the New Year's. It has to be cold. See, so it was like 40 below zero. The wind was blowing in off the lake and everything. Else. Oh, man, it was a mean night. And, and this, this, I remember, for some reason or other, out of all the New Year's, I remember this one probably as clearly as any New Year's, uh, like, say, even last New Year's. You know that just, uh, what was it, last year, uh, I did the CBS feed on television. Uh, did you see that? Yeah, with Guy Lombardo, see? And uh, so I, I've been involved in this thing. It was a great. But uh, I remember even more clearly, for curious reasons, this particular New Year's. So here we are. Uh, we're, we're sitting around at grandmother's. Now, grandmother had this idea that all of us, what we all wanted to do was to eat Nabisco's. The first thing she used to do, you know, these little sugar cookies, the Nabisco, uh, yeah, the wafer type things, and uh, she always had these in a in a glass bowl with a top on it, like a cookie jar, but it's glass. And and so when we showed up, me and my cousin, my <laughs> my cousin Buddy, and my kid brother, and my cousin Merle, and uh, all the cousins uh, had been herded into this house. She lived on, on St. Louis, uh, East St. Louis uh, in, in Chicago. North St. Louis, around North St. Louis, off of Irving Park on the north side of Chicago. You know where that is, sure. So uh, she, she lived in what they call a St. Louis-type apartment. You know what a St. Louis apartment is? Yeah, St. Louis apartment is a, is a, a specific kind. It's mostly found in Chicago, not St. Louis. Uh, like New York cut steaks are never found here. They're found in Indianapolis. But uh, a, a St. Louis apartment, uh, two apartments, one above the other, but they have a big porch on the back. Not like here. They have a real porch with the stairs coming down in a zigzag formation on the back. And, and they had separate entrances like. So that's a St. Louis apartment. Well, my grandmother lived in the St. Louis apartment. It was a, a double-story type thing, see? And she had linoleum all over the uh, kitchen floor, blue and white, uh, big square linoleum. Well, when we would arrive, all the kids would call her the house, and we'd be immediately put in the house. My grandmother always kept her house. Grandmothers tend to do this. She kept her house, I would say roughly, 135 degrees. My God, was her house hot all the time. And she had these... She had these uh, <laughs> she had these radiators. Now we didn't have radiators in our house. We lived in a, a civilized house, but my grandmother had radiators with these silver things on the side that dripped. I remember seeing that, and they drip hot water, sort of rusty hot water, and the radiators would always be going 
Sne nevlastnú alego. Stuff is dripping out. Hell in a place. And and well, yeah, they were. It's a steam heat. You bet it was steam heat. It was like direct from hell. She got the steam. That reminds me. This is W O R in New York. That's <laughs> our last show for '74. Hit the button, Nick. Quick. Well, this is the last time you're going to hear this for this year. Sooner or later, you'll own generous. Don't, don't you have a good time, gang? Hey, whether you drive a sports car, a sedan, an Irish, an Irish male, compact or limousine, General Tire has the tires that you need at prices that even you poor old sad 1974 type you can afford. You can choose from magnificent steel belted tires, glass belted original equipment tires, beautiful tires, magnificent, and they smell so good. So they'll show you down at your General Tire headquarters why sooner or later you'll own Generals and you'll sing the song proudly as you drive. Sooner or later you'll own Generals. Sooner or later, you won't. Sooner or later, you won't. Okay, here we go. We got a couple of other quickies. I'm going to tell you, we only got three spots tonight. It's amazing. The year does not end with a bang, but with a small whimper. Writing in the current issue of TV Guide magazine, anthropologist Ashley Montague says that the family unit is not breaking up. However, he does think that the family as we know it is passing through a period of new growth, development, and exploration which will benefit us all. His opinion, as television prepares a special on the family, makes interesting reading. In the same issue, shortly before his death, famed mathematician-turned-biologist-poet Jacob Ranofsky talked to TV Guide about his upcoming History of Science series on PBS. His thoughts make stimulating reading. And this week, TV Guide's cover story focuses on Angie Dickinson, who has a series in the top 30, a healthy income, and a hectic schedule. As Mrs. Bert Bacharach, she has a lovely home, a beautiful daughter, and a host of international friends. A look at how one woman combines two careers in TV Guide, America's biggest selling magazine. TV Guide on sale everywhere. Well, it's uh, Dell paperback time again, and uh, we have a note here that says, Justice, you'll be stunned by what happened after a cop's brutal murder in the onion field. Joseph Wambaugh's real-life suspense bestseller, now available as a Dell paperback. So don't miss the onion field. It's on the Dell rack, and you just stand back there and look up and down that Dell rack and see all those great books. And there it is, the onion field. And while you're about looking at the onion field, take a look at this Dell book. The greatest bestsellers. Books like Rebecca, Exodus, Hawaii. You don't just read them, you live them. Beulah Land by Lonnie Coleman is that kind of book. A sensational bestseller compared by many to Gone with the Wind. But Beulah Land is so frank it could only be published in our time. Beulah Land, the story of a great plantation in all its outward splendor and secret shame. Beulah Land, a Dell paperback bestseller. Uh, have you seen the newest New York magazine, the one with Rita Hayworth and Alec Kahn, and with Dick Tracy and Tess Trueheart, the year's newest newlyweds on the cover? Well, what year is New York magazine talking about? Why, 1949. 
And uh, they're going to rehash 1949. God, this gives them a thousand years of copy. They rehash 1952, rehash 1066. It's a great year that year. They can, they, yes, 1066, they can rehash uh, uh, year after year. When you run out of stuff, always write about another year that was last year. So anyway, it's all in New York Magazine special year-end double issue. And uh, they have a thing in there about seven-year-old Barbara Streisand. Well, there's some question of whether she ever did in the tour. Sooner or later. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I'm not making, it's not my opinion. Oh, no, no, nope, 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 nope. I have a bellwether in my head, a little antenna that picks up vibrations and transmits them. But I don't invent the vibrations. No way. And uh, so it's New Year's, and it's this is the last show for 1970. I hope everything works out for you in this coming year. I mean, the mere fact that you're still walking around, there it is, the last day of 1974, means that you have been successful in at least one thing, in this past year. Exactly. Survival. And don't think that is a small thing, friends, because without it, all else is ashes. <laughs> You've been successful in the most important of all things. Exactly. And uh, to me, all this stock market stuff is just so much uh, gobbledygook and paper. And that includes bank accounts and all of it. If you're still alive and walking around, you are doing something that countless millions are not any longer. So remember that. Now, I don't suppose it's going to do you any good. I mean, when they tell you that you're now working in negative figures down at the bank, but uh, at least uh, <laughs> you, there should be one time of the year when you're reminded of that fact, that you are alive, for God's sakes. You know, you really are. And uh, kind of don't look fetching all the time, will you? I mean, just once in a year, can't you stop griping just once so all right tomorrow morning it's going to be as bad as it ever was that doesn't make any difference you're still alive you know so nevertheless <laughs> if i may uh, digress uh, i'm as bad as a uh, uh, new york magazine at this point but uh going back to that that curious news i don't know whether you ever uh, ever did this in the in the east see all of my growing up was done in a very different part of the country now there are certain things which are very much, uh, I shouldn't say uh, universal, but let's put it this way, they're characteristic of our time. So we're all part, we're all Americans. We're, we've all grown up in America, and America is a country. Uh, and, and it has certain specific national characteristics. And, and we share them all. For one thing, America celebrates New Year's Eve. Not every country in the world does that. America celebrates in a specific way. It has a party. <laughs> Not everybody does this. And, and uh, we, we do things like make resolutions. Now, uh, that, that's what the whole story is about tonight, the trauma that I had with the resolutions. My grandmother, so very nice lady, a true grandmother. She really looked like a grandmother. She, she, everything about her was a grandmother. She wore aprons. You know, this is a classic grandmother costume. She wore an apron. And uh, grandmother was always messing around in the kitchen. And she was famous for her potato salad. So grandmother, that's not that's a classic grandmother ploy, wouldn't you say? And uh, she was famous for her baked ham. Now, what is more grandmotherly than to be famous for your baked ham? 
Now, uh, she wasn't famous for having a fantastic sparkling wit. She wasn't fantastic for uh, having great insight. My grandmother was famous for just being very nice, which is not a, uh, let's put it this way, an inconsiderable talent. I never heard a bad thing ever said about my grandmother, even among people who said bad things about themselves, even. I mean, you know. <laughs> but uh, sure, I had an uncle once. You know, my uncle, one of my uncles, my Uncle Al. If you came up to him and caught him off guard, and you say, what do you think about Uncle Al? He's, oh, what a bum. Oh, wait a minute. He realizes he's talking about himself. But automatically, he had bad things to say. But nobody said anything about my grandmother. She was a grandmother, very kindly. And she loved to play this game. Now, I don't know whether they ever played this game in New York or not, but it was a game that involved rolling dice and hitting a bell. Did you ever play such a game? They had one of these little bells, you know, the kind with the little thing on the top, the kind where you go into some delis and it say, ring for service, and there's a little button you hit it and it goes, ding. Well, she played this game like crazy. She'd roll these dice, and, and every so often she'd hit the, hit the little bell, and it would go, ding, and she'd say, bingo. Do you know anything about this game? Okay. I don't either. I don't know how it's played. I just remember her doing this. Now, who did she do it with? Well, she did it with her neighbor who was downstairs, who was another working grandmother. There were two grandmothers lived above each other, see, in the St. Louis apartment. And the old grandma, she was much older, the old grandmother downstairs would come upstairs and play this game with my grandmother. They would play these, and they had red dice. That's it. You know the kind of translucent sort of red dice with white dots? Well, they were always playing with these, a whole handful of them. They didn't just have two, but uh, whatever this game was, you're playing with about eight or nine dice, and she'd roll it and go, bingo, bingo, and they'd, they'd chuckle and eat bridge mix. Well, bridge mix was a very big thing among grandmothers. You know what bridge mix is. You've had it, right? So on this, this New Year's Eve, I'm about, uh, I must have been about, uh, well, roughly nine or ten and uh, all my cousins were about the same age. Uh, my, my cousin Merle was exactly the same. We, my cousin uh, uh, Buddy was about a year older. And uh, all these cousins are all clumped here together. And because it is now New Year's, my grandmother says, we, you know, you, we can stay up. We can stay up to see in the New Year. I have no idea what the year was. It was just we're going to stay up to see in the New Year. Well... What did we do? Well, we sat around, and it was hotter than hell in this place. And this old grandmother came up from downstairs, and they're playing bingo or whatever it is. They're playing with the dice. And then it's, it must be about uh, roughly 12, a quarter to 12, something like that. My grandmother gets all excited. She says, oh, in just a few minutes, it's going to be the New Year's. And she had this big clock on the wall, which my grandmother got from well my grandfather had actually it was it was a railroad clock you know the kind that has a railroad on it, it was a prized possession he worked at the rock island road and he had a rock island clock which uh, it had a key i remember they, they'd open the front and wind up this thing see i wish i had that clock now wow that would be a dilly to own you know uh, but at that time it was just grandmother's old rotten clock they were always asking her why she didn't get a good electric clock, you know, like other civilized people. But she always said, well, you know, your grandfather owned that. And he was long since gone. So uh, her clock would tick away up there. And she points, she says, it's going to be the New Year's in just 15 minutes. And at that 
she rushes out into the kitchen, comes out with this gigantic tray that she's been preparing and spinning in the refrigerator. She brings it out. And this was the traditional thing for New Year's at my grandmother's house. Why? I have no idea. Did you ever hear of this legend? The legend is that if you eat pickled herring as the New Year comes in, you will have incredibly good luck. You never heard of that legend. Well, I just wonder if there's, if there's any... I, you know, I've never heard of it since. All I know is that there's a, my grandmother always said that. <laughs> and, and apparently other grandmothers agreed with her because the old grandmother from downstairs in the St. Louis apartment also ate pickled herring, and they all said they were going to have good luck because of it. Well, you know, what the, you know, what the hell a nine-year-old kid, what does a good luck in the next year mean, you know? Uh, <laughs> you know, what does good luck mean? So she brings this thing down. A kid doesn't have good luck or bad luck. He's just a kid. So <laughs> good luck is something adults have. Mostly bad, too. So she brings out this big tray. Now, at that point, I had never, I'd never eaten. Uh, uh, my, I came from a, a non-pickled herring family. We just didn't eat pickled herring. Uh, some people do. You know, there's certain things that certain families eat and others don't. For example, uh, well, there's a good example of pickling. Some, some families eat clams. Others don't. Just never think in terms of eating clams. Uh, I came from a non-clam, non-pickled herring family. But my family did have one peculiar crotchet. At least my old man did. He ate oysters, which in the neighborhood I came from was roughly like eating whale blubber. It was that, considered that exotic. <laughs> and more than that, he ate them raw. And people would come over to see him do it. I mean, they, they would stand around and watch him eat raw oysters. And people say, I wouldn't have believed that I had seen it. And there he is, he's eating raw oysters and dipping them into this sauce he made out of, out of horseradish and tomato ketchup. He'd dip it in there and he'd eat these damned oysters. Well, it is now New Year's. It is quarter to twelve. And grandmother brings out this tray. We're all sitting around. This is not about the old days. Again, you're going to say, oh, it must be the old days. No way. I'll guarantee you, right at this minute, there are kids who are listening to this show who are under the control of a babysitter <laughs> and are doing the same boring stuff. They are under the control of a grandmother, many of them. Now, my grandmother always felt that the, you know, what kids wanted all the time was cookies. That's just a grandmother ploy. Do you have a grandmother that feels this? You should bring out the... Yeah, well, that's right. She'd bring out the cookies. and uh, and Because she never ate cookies, obviously. She kept them for the kids. And we only came around there maybe once every couple of months. She would have Nabisco wafers that were actually collector's items by the time we would get them. They were made out of rubber. You know how, uh, how Nabisco gets after, you know, seven or eight years of not being eaten? It gets to be <laughs> very, very chewy and rubbery and all. So and she had petrified fig newtons mixed in with that, too. Those were her kid cookies. And she had the, so she'd bring these cookies out. And my mother had always said to me and my brother, now when grandmother gives you those cookies, pretend you like them. Now, you don't want to hurt her feelings. So we're eating the rubber cookies. And my brother, you know, he just eating the cookies, looking mad. So we're sitting around, it's quarter to twelve, she brings out the tray, and she begins to pass around the pickled herring. 
Well, I had never had pickled herring before. I, as I say, my family was strictly uh, meatloaf. And uh, when we were really getting exotic, once in a great while, my mother would make uh, meatloaf with uh, what she called the pepperoni pizza sauce, which was meatloaf with the cheese on it. That was very exotic. And my grandmother passes out the pickled herring. <laughs> I was not one to pass it up. Uh, any kind of food that was handed out, I was ready to, to try it. Well, I had never really gotten close to it. I'd seen pickled herring in the stores, in the jars, you know, with the little white top. And... Uh, my, my brother, who, who to this day remains like that, my brother, he won't eat it. So I said, I'll try one. Well, I'm going to tell you this. There are turning points in every man's life. Now, some of these turning points involve sex. Some of these turning points involve scholastic failure. Turning points can also involve uh, the armed forces. First time somebody takes a shot at you. That's a turning point. All these various things. Well, that moment, at quarter to twelve, just before midnight, on a New Year's Eve, much like this, I took a piece of pickled herring with a small piece of pickled onion. You know that little onion rings that come with it? And I remember there was a little round, kind of a spice thing on it, too. That that, uh, that spice that floats around, and it was on the top of this thing. I didn't know what that was. I just dipped that fork into it, and I figured, what the hell, you know? I put it in my mouth. It was at that point that Shepard's personal modern era began. The pickled herring monkey was on my back. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's never left me. In fact, that monkey has grown up now to be a full-fledged gorilla. Weighs 700 pounds. And I, I can't think of a pickled herring right at this point without my eyes puzzling up. Emotion. Oh, God, I love him. You too, Nick? Don't tell me you're another victim. Oh, I like him with a sour cream, too. But I like them especially with the with the wine sauce, the the uh, that light, uh, you know what I mean? That uh, that sweet sour wine. Oh my God! I had this pickled herring, and I can remember just oh oh this fantastic pickled herring. My grandmother's passing this around, and she said, "Now if you eat pickled herring, just as the new year comes in, you'll have good luck forever." Well, I want to tell you, just discovering pickled herring was good luck. So I had another piece of pickled herring. And we were accompanying them with a very fashionable cracker of that period. And in that neighborhood, the Ritz Cracker. The Ritz Cracker was considered a very elegant... Uh, uh, you, you, uh, do you still eat Ritz Crackers, Nick, at all? <laughs> Ritz Crackers? I mean, the Ritz Cracker and a pickled herring. So I'm eating the pickled herring, enjoying the Ritz Cracker. And then... You know, the evening's getting getting uh, getting closer. My grandmother's all excited. She's checking the watch. And she's got this big radio she had in her house. I don't know whether they, uh, any of you have ever heard of such a radio. Did you ever hear of a Stuart Warner? Okay, she had a Stuart Warner radio, which was, I would say, maybe 30 or 40 feet high. 
and it was, you know, huge, one of these big console-type radios, enormous radio, and she turns on the radio. The dial warms up. She says, now we're all going to celebrate New Year's, and let's eat our pickled herring, and we'll all have good luck at the same time. So everybody celebrated, and her clock is up on the wall. It's going tick, tick, tick. My cousin Murrow was half asleep. My cousin Murrow was always half asleep. In fact, to this day, he remains half asleep. She's been in a coma since she was two. <laughs> you know, there's a certain girl type that is like that. In fact, she spent most of her growing up years in the John. And she was famous. Whenever you went to that house, she was in the John. What was she doing? Well, she was doing something with her hair. Yeah, continually. Yeah, or, or plucking something. Yeah, that's right. Always in the John. So my cousin Merle was slowly falling asleep. And we're all sitting around eating pickled herring. It wasn't a kid in the crowd. It was older than nine. And, you know, we didn't know what the hell was going on. And her, the dial of her radio warmed up. And, and you hear this great cheering and applause and yelling coming out of the radio. She says, it's, uh, we're listening to New York. We're going to hear the New Year's coming from New York. Well, you know, you could hear him cheering. And, and I couldn't understand why it was, because the announcer kept saying, uh, Happy, Happy New Year! The New Year is already well into the first hour! He was yelling like that. I could, you know, at that time, time lag and all that stuff, you know, didn't mean anything to me, see? The time lag. And, and with that, <laughs> he, 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 they kept ticking off the time all the time. Oh, I look up at the clock, and my grandmother's passing out more of this pickled herring. Everybody's getting all excited. And just exactly at midnight when her clock went up like that right to the zero point had this big great big red second hand railroad type watch you know, railroad clock tick 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 it's midnight it goes it made one bong like that which means midnight well instantly all around the city you can hear coming in you hear these whistles blowing you ever hear that do they do that in New York blow whistles yeah, you could hear whistles blowing, you know, all these different places where they had whistles. You hear guys honking their horns, see, honking horns, blowing their horns and all kinds of stuff. And just at that moment, the announcer says, Happy New Year! And, and, and with that, with that, he says, and now, coming to you from the fashionable Stevens Hotel. My grandmother sat there, you know, just listening to this. She says, now that's Guy Lombardo. She says, and this is New Year's. Happy New Year. She says to all of us, we're all sitting around, you know, dumb looking, eating this, eating the pickled herring. And she says, now we'll all have good luck forever. All the time. Because we have pickled herring. Well, ever since that time, Guy Lombardo has been the official sound in my head of New Year's. I don't, I'm not a Guy Lombardo fan, are you? No, you know, but that sound, that specific sound, it's just like, you don't have to be a, a fan of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Turkey to recognize the fact that Turkey represents Thanksgiving. No question about it. You don't have to be a, you know, a cuckoo bird for chocolate rabbits. But the first time you see a chocolate rabbit in the window, you know Easter's coming, right? Whether or not you like it or not, there it is. Well, whenever I hear that sound, I know it is an official year. <laughs> a new year has actually happened. And uh, it's just going to be in a couple of hours. There's going to be another one. This is the last dying moments of good old 1974. Well, 
We sat there, see? Everybody's digging this saint. And it's getting late. It's about 12.30 now. And I remember Guy Lombardo kept playing something with these pianos. Uh, what the hell was it? Oh, it was a... Little old lady, they were playing like that, and my grandmother liked that. She kept listening, and the old lady from downstairs is, is up, and they had a glass of wine, which they then proceeded to pour, and they toast each other with the wine, and it, and it was this very sweet wine. It was, it, listen, I'll tell you what, it, it, it made Manischewitz Red look like the most dry, uh, elegant French wine. I think this stuff was, was compounded mostly of cough syrup. They loved it. Yeah, and, and they're drinking this red, thick wine and, and passing it around a little bit to the kids, but only the big kids. See, I got a little bit of this stuff, and that mixed well with the, with the, uh, with the uh, pickled herring and the rich crackers and the olives and all the stuff that we were having, and then it happened. It, <laughs> the, the, the disaster hit. The phone rang. It's 12.30. The phone rang. My, my grandmother goes to the next room, picks up the phone, and it's only a half an hour into the new year. She runs in, picks up the phone, and she says, What? Oh. Yeah. All right. Yes, they're okay. And I said, Fine. Yes. She hung up. And she comes back into the room. She's sitting there, got a funny look on her face. Hey, uh, you don't question these things, though, when you're a kid. You're nine years old, and we're sitting around, and my cousin Buddy and I are playing now the game, which I have been playing all my life in one way or another. A, 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 a red-hot game of Monopoly broke out. Now, I don't know whether you play... Do you play Monopoly at all? You play Monopoly? Great game, great game. The one thing about Monopoly is I have never known anyone to ever actually finish a Monopoly game. They just go on endlessly, forever. And so Buddy and I and Merle, my kid brother, were playing this this kind of listless game of Monopoly. My grandmother was saying, well, now, uh, I don't think you'd better go to bed now, because usually we went to bed immediately. She said, you better stay up. I said, why? She says, well, you better stay And then you hear the stumping coming up the back steps. You hear about 500 steps come, 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 coming up the lane. The door flings open. The old man is there. And he's madder than hell. He says, all right, come on, get the kids dressed. Let's go. We're going we're gonna to leave. They never got to the Hotel Sherman. The whole crowd had piled into my old man's Oldsmobile. And they were driving on the way to the, this hotel where they had the reservations. When halfway there, the Oldsmobile froze up, burned out a bearing, <laughs> blew out a gasket, and they stood the entire time during the changing of the guard, the changing of the new year, in a snowdrift, waiting for what they called the Chicago Motor Club to come and tow them out. And the old man was madder than hell. And my mother had been obviously crying. And my uncle, my uncle Al was saying nothing. My aunt Kate was saying nothing. And all, all the whole crowd sitting. And the old man says, "Well, do you think we'll get our reservation back? 
you think we'll get what the what we had to pay that 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 twenty dollars we had to send in? And Uncle Al says, Oh no, if you don't come, they they're not good that bad. He says, You mean we're not even gonna get the damn money back? And, and with that, Uncle Al says, Well, I think you better call him and find out. He says, Well, I'll be damned if I'm gonna let him have my twenty bucks. And my mother says, Well, please, please, not in front of the kids. He says, Well, I want him on my twenty bucks. And he rushes over and he grabs the phone and he hears him say, Hello, Hotel Sherman. Well, give me the give me the uh Oh, that place where Bob Crosby's playing. Look, I don't care where the line is busy. Get him. Hello? My name is Shepard. Yeah. A party of six. Yeah, three of us. Three, that party of six. No, we're not coming. I pulled up the car. The damn car is all burned up. I'm not coming. Do I get my money back? What do you mean? Well, I'll see about that. I'll never... No! You'll never get any of my business again! The hell with you guys! Bang! He hangs up. This is Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, like hell! That guy had the nerve to tell me Happy New Year! Good luck! Not even get my 20 bucks back. All right, get the kids dressed. We're going home. We're taking a streetcar. We were put into our sheepskin coats immediately. Five minutes later, we're sitting in a streetcar with about 45 Chicago drunks. I don't know whether you've ever been in a Chicago streetcar on New Year's Eve, but it's unbelievable. I mean, guys laying on the floor, guys had thrown up all over the seats. Uh, <laughs> guys were falling out of the windows. And we are going home on a streetcar, which took at least 17, 18 hours. I mean, we had a transfer, but the old, the old man is bought. He's saying nothing. My mother is just sitting there next to him. Have you ever, do you remember scenes when your mother and your father had terrible fights? They're saying nothing. We finally get up on the front porch. My brother's asleep. My mother is carrying him. My old man is holding up his head. She's got his feet. We get up on the front steps. We open the door. My mother says, well, at least I'm going to say one thing to you. He says, what do you want? She says, Happy New Year. I mean it. Happy New Year. She says, I'm happy. Oh, he started to laugh. He started to laugh. At that point, he says, yeah, what the hell? He says, what the hell? He says, it's not your fault that the Oldsmobile blew up. That stupid Al, I'll tell you this. If he'd only... Oh, well, what the hell? Happy New Year. Five minutes later, I'm asleep. That was the way the new year came in. I woke up the next morning. There was a funny taste in my mouth. It was the first time I had woken up with what they call the pickled herring hangover, which means that you taste pickled herring on your breath. There's no way to get out of it. So happy new year, gang. I hope we're all walking around when 1976 comes in. Have a good one. But be careful, you know. And don't get yourself all pickled herring up. You can just eat so much of that, and it starts going to the head and starts getting sinuses. And you know you got to drive home, so watch out for the pickled herring tonight. Good luck. Hang loose. And uh, May 1975 be as uh, successful as 1974 is. I mean, in the survival sense.
This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.